You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. That's right. It is the H-Town Who's podcast, and I am Brandon Scott here with Adam Spillane, Austin Mendez, handling things for us behind the scenes. And look, man, we are coming to you at a time when the Rockets have kind of turned things around here. The last time we talked, they had lost three straight, and now they have won three straight to even their record at 500. The Rockets, Adam, I think it's fair to quote Jalen Green when he says is super lit, the Rockets are super lit right now, man. I I remember about a week ago, I was just like, man, this three game losing streak, the way that they're playing, like there's just not really a whole lot to hang your hat on. And they really needed that win against Charlotte and they got it. And then they won these last two games against Sacramento. Now, mind you, it's a game against the Charlotte Hornets who who are not very good and against the Sacramento Kings team that did not have De'Aaron Fox. But wins are wins. What what would you focus on more in terms of what's going on with the Rockets these last three games? The 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 what, what the Rockets weren't weren't facing in terms of the opponent or the actual brand of basketball that they that they've played because I would argue Adam that that is why the Rockets are super lit right now because they're playing defense, they're shooting a little bit better despite the fact that they haven't really played anybody. Um, I've, I've seen them many times over the last couple of years play against a team that was missing its best player, and they fell flat on their faces in those games. That did not happen the last two games against Sacramento. And, yes, I understand they did not have De'Aaron Fox. They still had Demonis Sabonis. That's still a very good team that has won games in the past without De'Aaron Fox. And what you like to see is those games really weren't competitive. Saturday's game was a little bit um, there was just kind of that big offensive lull for like the middle part of it with the Rockets. Uh, But then they took over in the fourth quarter and then Monday's game, they controlled it really from, from the tip off. And that's, what's impressive. That's the sort of thing that can carry over because yeah, when you, you should beat a team when it does not have its best player. Like you should, that's just how this works. It doesn't always happen that way, but when you thoroughly dominate a player the way that they did, I think, from a, from a macro sense, that's what's impressive. And you look at just some of the the aspects of the team, they they really harped on rebounding. Like that was a big thing that they harped on after the Charlotte game. And they were last in the league in rebounding. They were giving up an offensive rebound. I think it was like a, on a third of their missed shots. And then what happens on Saturday in the first game, and this is with Sabonis on the floor, um, they had an 86% defensive rebound rate. That that would be by far and away the best in the league if you could do that over the course of a season. Um, obviously, you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, they got a little sloppy with the rebounding in last night's game, but the defense was really good. 
and they are now top half in the league in in defensive rating through uh, through six games, which I'm sure they are very happy about, and that's impressive, and that's a step in the right direction because they obviously have been at the bottom or near the bottom the last three years in that department. And then one other thing that really stands out, um, and part of this is what they did in the offseason with some of the additions that they made, they're not turning the ball over, and they're taking care of the basketball. And so I looked up on, on Monday in the third quarter, they had 17 assists and three turnovers. Like that's how you win basketball games. Like that's just, that's just playing smart basketball. And that's giving yourself a chance to win because there are going to be nights when shots don't fall. But if you are, if you are at least getting shots up, that's important. And the other thing that matters when it comes to not take, to not turning the ball over is that you aren't giving teams transition opportunities. And the best way to get lit up on the scoreboard is to turn the ball over and allow points in transition. And they aren't doing that right now. So to me, the way that they won the game, especially Monday where they dominated that game really for 48 minutes and the fact that they're playing defense and the fact that they're taking care of the basketball, that's stuff that really matters. And I think that's stuff that can carry over. Yeah. I'm seeing here that they're the eighth fewest turnovers per game right now their, their turnover rate is ninth best in the league so they're only turning the ball over on 14 percent of their possessions now part of it is that um they're playing at the slowest pace in the league so that's going to help too like when you play a little bit slower you're going to be in a little bit more control but it's a 14 percent turnover rate right now last year they were 16.2 and again, that 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 number might not seem big, but that's essentially two fewer turnovers a game, which is two fewer fast break opportunities a game, and that's probably what three and a half points that you're taking off the scoreboard just right there. That's three and a half points or so that you're taking off the the, the board for your opponents, and it's giving yourself two shots that maybe you wouldn't have had last year. Again, it seems small just when you look at it, but that sort of stuff matters. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about rebounding, or at least, you know, this early part of the season so far, we've talked about rebounding and and I guess a lot about just their interior presence or, you know, where it was lacking, where it's good and where it's been lacking. But that's something that they focused on, transition defense, three-point defense, just defense overall, team defense, you could say. And then also, Adam, the ball movement, and the overall shot selection from this team, I think, is a big thing that they've tried to focus on improving. And I think it's still something that's a work in progress. Obviously, they, they're just, you know, a handful of games into the season. But it does look a lot better. It's looked a lot better in these wins. And I think that, I don't know, even that I think, I think it's pretty obvious when you look out there. Like, these the younger players have matured some, but just having the veterans out there, the starters, and even the ones on the bench from like Fred Van Bleet and Dylan Brooks to even like Jeff Green, guys like Jeff Green, 
like all of these guys and the impact. I think this is something that I probably undersold about Fred Van Bleet and Dylan Brooks. It's like the impact they could have on the younger guys, like an Alper and Shingoon. Obviously, a Jalen Green, I think, is one that we focused on. But it seems like they've helped adjust, improve. I don't know what the right adjective or what the right word is for that. But it seems like they've helped change a little bit of the attitude and the approach. That, that to me, is why the defense is better, why the rebounding is better, because there, is, there, there does seem to be an attitude approach that has allowed them to be better in these very specific things that they wanted to be better in. Well, they're adults. And that's one thing that this team had lacked the last couple of years is just actual adults. And you have veterans that are invested in the future of the team. And this is nothing against Eric Gordon, but, and Eric Gordon is a vet and he's a good guy to have in your locker room, but he wasn't invested in the future of the team. He was ready to go. He wanted to be traded. And he wasn't going to sit around and babysit and mentor a bunch of kids. That just wasn't what he was going to do. He was going to come in. He was going to do his work. He was going to kind of just be an example. But now you have Van Vliet, especially, who is kind of taking these guys, you know, under his arm and just saying, hey, I'm going to lead you guys. I'm going to teach you how to do things the right way. Just like I had with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan when I got to Toronto, I wrote about this back during training camp. Like that was a big thing for him is that, you know, when he got to Toronto as an undrafted guy, Kyle Lowry kind of, you know, took him under his wing. And Kyle Lowry said that when I came into the league, I had somebody do that for, for me. And when you get a little bit older, you're going to have somebody that you need to do that to do that for also. And so you kind of pay it forward. And so that has really worked out. And Van Vliet has come in. I think Van Vliet has just been absolutely perfect for them. Um, just a professional, understand, just off the court. You know, I, we can get into on the court in a minute. But just off the court, being a guy who is a leader and embracing that role and wants to wants to be that he wants to be that guy and then you look at how he's helped them on the floor it's just a guy who knows what to do and as i brought up a second ago um 17 assists three turnovers i mean a lot of that is him a lot of that is just him being in control of the offense and while i sit here and we talk about pace and how they're playing at the league's slowest pace right now i think that they they have been smart about when they've run you know, they have done a really good job recently of pushing off of opponent misses. But when it's not there, they are going to play under control. And I think that is where th th those are things that they did not do last year. They did not play under control. They turned the ball over. I mean, they were the worst team in the league taking care of the basketball. They are taking care of the basketball right now. That sort of stuff matters. That's the sort of stuff that wins games. It, and it, it even feels like, and I was just mentioning this earlier, it, it, it feels like it's even got an impact on on Jalen Green. Like you mentioned, them being adults, like because Fred Van Bleet is is under control, Jalen Green is at least more, feels at least, watching it more under control. You know, and that, that wasn't necessarily uh, – necessarily the case on that in that first game or you know those first three games I, and I don't think they played necessarily as terribly as maybe it felt because they had lost all of those games but you're really seeing it now I think you're really seeing it in these last few games just the the overall impact of having him and you mentioned off the floor but but on the floor and we can talk about Fred Van Vliet a little bit more in a second but I want to get to Dylan Brooks real quick and ask you something about him because I'm starting to already want to eat crow a little bit on Dylan Brooks because I feel like the the way things ended in Memphis 
clouded a little bit and made it easy to overlook how good of a basketball player he had been up until that point. And he had some stinkers to go along with the some of the shenanigans that was happening with Memphis. But like there's a there was a body of work before that, like before all of that happened that said, hey, this is this is a really, really good basketball player. And I think I was probably way too ready to overlook some of those things. And some of those things are showing up in Dylan Brooks's play right now for the Rockets. And we expected the defense to be there. He's one of the elite defensive players in basketball. But the offense, I think, is something that I was concerned about because I thought Dylan Brooks was going to come here and maybe whether it was ego or whatever it might be, the fact that he got this this really nice contract, that this is a young team, that he'd come here and want to take all the shots and take a bunch of ill-advised shots and think, you know, think he's the guy and all this kind of thing. And he's been nothing like that. He's he's been absolutely nothing like what I think I maybe predetermined or sort of precast him as. He's been like super professional. Uh, very judicious, and his shot selection has been good. He's been a good offensive player, a, a plus offensive player for them. And it's actually there have been times now. Jalen Jalen Green, I think, will acknowledge is, you know, probably the most talented guy on this team. But Dylan Brooks feels like the best basketball player on the team right now, and I and I feel like I'm not even going out on a limb by saying that he's playing the best. It feels that way. Do you agree or disagree? And, and what do you also, what do you think about what he's been able to do offensively on top of what he already brings on the defensive end? The first part, I would probably say, no, he hasn't been the best because there's a, a Turkish center who has been very good and we'll get to him. Yeah, we, we were going to get to him. I, 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 Yeah, Shingun aside, but yes, yes, fair enough. No, but, but, but to your point, Brooks has been excellent. He really has on both ends of the floor. Um, they have used him a little bit differently defensively where when he was in Memphis, he would kind of be like the Deion Sanders and you just, you take that one guy and you just shadow him and they've asked him to, you know, he's been part of their scheme. Just, you know, they've, they've done a lot of switching so far this season. Um, he's done that very well. If they've needed him to start off on um, a team's best player and then switch him onto somebody, you know, like the, the first game he started on Bancaro. Franz Wagner got going. They switched him over. You know, he can, he, he's the type of guy who can guard anyone. And that you're just going to have that every single night. Um, a, a couple of the, a couple of things that he has just been better at is, you know, he's, he's not shooting 59% from the field, 57% from three. I mean, that's not sustainable. That's not going to sustain the whole year, but I think what has been encouraging and you brought it up is just the shot selection. And you go through his field goal attempts in Memphis Um 16.4, and this year he's down to 9.8. Like all of a sudden, he's not taking the shots that he was taking in Memphis last year. Three-point attempts. Uh, first gets into the league, 3.2, 2.2, 5.6, 5.6, 4.7. He attempted six threes a game last year in Memphis. This year he's down to 3.8. Again, that was the stuff that you were worried about with him. It's just, is he, is this guy going to feel like he needs to take 16, 17, 18 shots a game? And so far it's been the exact opposite. He's played under control on that end of the floor. And that just makes his value defensively. It, it just, it, it's even better because you have this, an, you have an elite defender. He is an elite defender at his position. He can guard anybody on the floor 
and he's playing within himself offensively. So he's giving you all this defensively, and he's not taking away from that by playing poorly on the other end of the floor. So I think that he has been, I mean, we said it uh, during the summer. I would not have signed him. Um, the fact that Memphis really wanted no part of him, that that's one of those things that kind of turned me off to, to him as a guy that you want to bring in, but it's just been the exact opposite. You know, he he's making a lot of people look very, very bad for the things that they said about that signing. And, and you look at it now, um, it, it almost feels like they got a bargain with him. And again, it's early, it's six games and a lot can change in the next six months. But so far, if you get this Dylan Brooks, if you get him playing at that level defensively, and if you can keep him with this same short sort of shot selection, yeah, again, he's not going to shoot 60% from the field and 57% from three. But if you can at least keep him to the same number of attempts and play within the offense the way that he is, that's a home run signing. Yeah, well, and the plan within the offense is the big part. The shot selection, as we've talked about, is the big part. An element of it that I don't really think I had thought as much about, and I think Ime Udoka was bringing this up in one of the post games or one of the interviews that I seen him speak in, was that with Jalen Green and Fred Van Bleet commanding so much attention and having the ball in their hands so much and in, in, in so many of their actions, it does open up some opportunities for Dylan Brooks, who is in some ways. Like, I, and I don't think I thought about this when he, when he signed because, but this was the the fact when the Grizzlies were really good. But he is in some ways an overqualified third option, or at the very least, a really really good third option. You know, um, and, and at his best, an overqualified third option. And so, he's able to when he plays within himself, and when he's not trying to play hero by any. And again, he's he has not been that guy. He has been like ultimate professional, playing within himself, and really good shot selection, all of that. Like we mentioned, and when he's doing that, he's a real weapon for them. Like like him him in that role specifically, sticking to his rivers and lakes, and knowing who he is and what he is and what he provides. That's really, really valuable. And when you have, as we've talked about, Fred Van Bleet and Jalen Green has improved since those first couple of games when we when you know when it didn't look necessarily great, or at least really just the first game. Um, he's been he's been really good. When they're right and Dylan Brooks gets to kind of just be the other guy and plays that way, it's a really good look for their offense. When you say third option, I see him more as a fifth option. Like when you have him on the floor with the starters. And it's it's Van Vliet and it's Green and it's Shingoon and it's Smith and and him. I almost think of him as like the last guy offensively. Now I know what you're saying, but the thing the thing that would worry that had me worried about him is that he would carry himself like the first option or the, the second first option. option. Yeah, yeah. He's done such a better job of just blending in. Because you look at the guys that he was playing with in Memphis, you know, he's on the floor with Morant and Bain and uh, and Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and some other guys who can put the ball in the basket, and yet he's taking 16 shots a game or whatever it was, 15, you know, 13.6 shots a game last year and six threes. Like you are, you don't want him using, you don't want him having that sort of a usage rate. You want that usage rate to be much, much closer to what it is right now. So I think that's been what's been important is like. He is when you look at all at, at all this talent that they have around him, 
he's probably the last guy that you want to shoot the basketball, but he's really well qualified for that type of a role. Like if he's on the floor, you don't mind him shooting. You just don't want him to take the pull-up shot with 18 on the shot clock. You know, you want him to take the really good shot and that's what he's done a better job of. So I, I just think so far, if they can continue to get this Dylan Brooks and, you know, tomorrow's a bit of a challenge with LeBron and, you know, it's going to be, there's, there's a lot that comes with a matchup between him and LeBron. If he can play within himself and continue to do that when, you know, when the lights get bright, I think that he's just a perfect player for them. Yeah. And to be clear, when I say third option, I really more so meant third perimeter option, like the right. kind of the third guy as, as from a guard standpoint, we're going to talk about the first option right now. Let's move on to Alperin Shingun, man. Like th this guy has been excellent, continues to shine. I think it's, you know, noteworthy that he's maintained or is sort of right on the trajectory that you would expect from him offensively, doing the things that you'd like to see from him offensively. But the defense really is what feels like, I don't want to say turned around, but feels a lot better, feel a lot more comfortable with what you've seen from Alperin Shingun defensively. I even feel comfortable saying right now on the podcast with you, Adam, that Alperin Shingun at this moment does not feel like a defensive liability on this team at the moment. Now, we're only talking about a handful of games. We've got a way larger sample size of him, of him being a def defensive liability or at the very least having defensive problems, issues on the defensive end, as opposed to what I'm saying here, how he does not feel like a defensive liability. But the numbers are better. Uh, with him on the floor defensively than they than they've ever been, and again, small sample size. But what are you noticing about that? That's kind of going back to my earlier point to, uh, too about the the attitude and just the impact that I feel like the veterans have had. Ime Udoka too, obviously, is the head coach and sort of the tone that he's setting. But I see, I feel like I see a different Alperin Shingun from even the one that we were talking about you know, a month ago or even a week ago. What stands out to you about what Shingun's done over the last few games? It's amazing how different it looks when you try. And yeah. I think that's been the big thing so far. It's just that, so there's two things that stand out. First is the effort. You know, the effort matters and the effort has not been there the last couple of years at that end of the floor. He just, you know, it's, it's one of those things. He just wasn't really interested in playing defense. And when you're young, you don't really want to defend. Defending's not a lot of fun, for, especially if you're, you know, in the paint and guys are coming at you and it's physical. Oh, I don't, I don't want any part of that. Um, he's trying right now. And so that's a big step. It's just like the effort. Um, the other thing is how they're playing him. And, you know, with him, they play a lot of drop coverage with him the last couple of years. And they're still doing that to a degree. But I think the problem that he would get into last year is that he would drop so deep that now you're just giving the offensive player a runway to the lane. And instead of so so he would almost try and be a shot blocker, which he couldn't do. So now he's not dropping back as deep and he's basically forming a wall. And so he's at least, he's just basically getting in the way and he's forcing tougher shots. And he's also not fouling, which is also important. Um, so those are just kind of little things just with the pick and roll coverage that has been better. And then the other thing, these two games against Sacramento, um, 
this is probably the two most encouraging games that you can have because we talked about how they didn't have Fox. They did have Sabonis, and they knew, okay, no Fox. They are going to do everything through Sabonis, and that was going to put a lot of pressure on Shingun to be able to hold up. And not only did he hold up, he thoroughly outplayed Sabonis for those two games. Like, he was by far the better center, and didn't matter how many touches Sabonis got in those two games, he did not do a whole lot. He was very quiet in those two games. Well, I think he averaged nine and a half points for those two games, four and a half assists. And this is a guy who averaged a triple-double against the Rockets in four games last year. Uh, and the other big thing for Shingun is that he didn't get in foul trouble. And so to be able to play against Sabonis, a guy at that level, for those two games when Sabonis is by far their best option, and to outplay him and stay out of foul trouble – that's as good as it gets right now for him. And that is as encouraging a sign as we've seen from him in his two plus seasons in the NBA. Well, yeah, because, and I, and I'll, I'll throw this to you. To me, it's encouraging because that's, that's what has held him back, at least in my mind from being like seriously talked about in the ways that people have wanted to talk about him. Some of the, Shingun fanatics that you'll find on the internet. And I'm not, I'm not saying some of that or a lot of that's not warranted. He's a very, he is a very fun player to watch and to follow and to be a fan of. But I've, I've kind of found it silly because I'm like, well, you can't, I mean, that, that can't be a franchise player or anything like that. He doesn't defend. But like, I, I'm very curious to see how this goes and how sustainable it is. How, like how consistent, I should say, how consistent he can be on this side of the floor, on this end of the floor, and just how this thing develops offensively with them. I think they might have something here, a little bit more here with Shingun than I was probably giving that credit as well. Like I, I'm I'm starting to now further entertain what his ceiling could be. And I'm just curious, what do you like what do you think? How do you think this this plays out? Do they continue to uh, is he someone that they can continue to run the offense through? And and especially if he's going to play this way defensively, how does that how does that sort of change the view of him as a player overall? We got to wait and see. Uh, I, I still think, again, it, it's only six games. Um, but, I mean, he he's shown it even the first two years in the NBA that you can run an offense through him and it can be a, an okay offense. You know, there was a little bit of a ceiling last year just because – giving him the basketball didn't really generate a lot of threes. And there's a little bit of a ceiling on an offense. If you don't generate a lot of threes, he's gotten better at that. Um, he's not turning the ball over. Uh, this was a big thing for him. Um, you know, he was, he became the youngest center to get to 500 assists. And Ime Yudoka was asked about that before Monday's game. And Yudoka said he, he would have had it a lot sooner if he would not risk every other pass. So now he's not trying to make the home run play every single time. Like he, again, we talk about Dylan Brooks playing within himself on the offensive end. Shingun is starting to do that as well. He's just, hey, I can make a really good living hitting singles too. You know, I can hit the home run every now and then. I can hit the double. But when the single is there, when the easy pass is there, when the easy play is there, I can make that play. And that can be, that. those are winning plays for us on the offensive end of the floor. So he's getting better at that. Um, the rebounding, again, we, we've, we will continue to talk about that. That needs to be better, especially at the defensive end. And he got asked last night um, about coming. He was two rebounds away from triple-double. And as he's asked this question, Ime Yudoka is standing in the hallway of the locker room. And Shengun looks right at him. And Yudoka says, should have boxed out Sabonis. 
And so those are like the little things. Like if you box out Sabonis two more times, you get your two rebounds and you get your triple double. Like and that's that's the thing that they're really going to work with him on and really keep harping on him is like you gotta you gotta get rebounds. If you can yeah. get rebounds, we can have these great defensive possessions and you can finish the possessions with the rebound and then we take off. So it, it is a very encouraging start to the season for him. He's got to keep it going. He's got to keep it going, and that's that really goes for all of them. That was you know the one thing that. Jalen Green said yesterday about Shingun, and nobody's played with Shingun, you know, longer than Jalen Green has, and or he's been on the floor with him more than Jalen Green. And he said, yeah, he, he's been great so far. He was amazing against the bonus in, in these two games. He's got to keep it up. And so that's the big thing for him. Can he continue to do that? And that goes, that's just not on Shingun. That's the whole team. Can they continue to play at that sort of a level? Can they be smart? Can they make smart plays? And if they can, They've got a chance to do some things this season. I mean, if you can be top 10 in turnovers, in turnover rate, that 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 masks a lot of other issues that you might have. So um, it's it's a really good step for him. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any other way to look at it, man, than just to be encouraged by it. Real specifically, though, because he outplayed Sabonis, you know, the, the, the comp for him, the common comp for Shingun is obviously Jokic, but then also Sabonis. And, it, you know, if he's like to be Jokic, obviously Jokic is, is an absurd standard at this point because of who and what he is. But if you can be like not Jokic, but maybe better than Sabonis, I feel like you're cooking with grease there. You know, like you're you're not quite the the thing that you're saying, you know, that you know, everybody's trying to compare you to and saying that you are, but there's some special there. So I think that's really, that's really encouraging and really cool to watch and really just fun to watch as well. I want to ask though, real quick about Jalen Green though, since we brought him up, you know, the comments and, and everything. Uh, and, and we led this and, and uh, hey, look, Austin, you can put it back up to super lit. The Rockets are super lit right now. That's what Jalen Green says. I am encouraged by Jalen Green from the standpoint of I feel like he's also playing within himself and playing at least playing within the system, doing a good job of that, and has played, I wouldn't say, like, great or anything, but I would say well and, and better. I, I want to get your thoughts on Jalen Green because I – I have if there was if there was anything I would say, it's like, okay, I still feel like I need a little bit more. And I don't want to nitpick and complain when a guy is playing well, but it it feels like there's more there. You know, he's playing fine, he's fine, you know, but it feels like it needs to be or you want it to be more. Maybe it balances out if you're a Rockets fan that Shingoon's start is so encouraging, but Look, it, it's all good if Fred Van Vliet comes in here and, and makes his money's worth. It's all good if Dylan Brooks comes in here and makes his money's worth. It's all good if if you're, like, happy with the performances that you're seeing from Albert Shingoon and Jalen Green. But a big part of the season, at least I thought, was finding out if you've got that guy, that lead guy on this team, on this roster. And Jalen Green was kind of the one that a lot of people thought would be would be it. I'm not saying that he's not it, but if there's one thing that's kind of just stood out is that he 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 has not looked like 
like you've seen all-star flashes like oh i could see how that guy could be an all-star but leading guy on a winning team have you seen that in these six games or is it is it even just too early to kind of make that assessment based off of what you've seen so far you know the numbers are down but this was a point that um that uh dylan brooks and, and fred van vliet made after the game saturday and you look at the numbers on saturday 10 points five assists he only took 10 shots uh but he was a plus 26 and what they talked about, and this was especially in the fourth quarter, is that he made all the right plays. And, you know, the Kings were running two guys at him. He was making all the right reads every single time. And sometimes that's all you can do. Like, you, you would rather him make all the right reads and rely on his teammates than force up shots that just aren't there or force up bad shots. And so then what happens? The Kings adjust a little bit. And Jalen Green in the game on, on Monday, he really started looking for his offense a whole lot more early in the game, and he carried the offense the first half. And you look, 23 points on nine shots. Like, you'll take that. Like, that's really good. And so you can impact the game. You don't have to score a bunch of points and, you know, put up a bunch of counting stats, and, and, and that doesn't mean you're not impacting the game. So I think that really all you care about right now is that he's on the floor and making plays that matter when the game is on the line. And he did that in the, in those two games. And so he's getting to the free throw line. You know, he'll have the big offensive games will be there. Like those will come, but you just, you want to see him again, play within himself on the offensive end of the floor. I mean, you know, he's had, he scored 22, 21 points in, in two of the games, but he took a lot of shots to get there. Um, he, oh, he had 23 against Charlotte. He only took 16 shots in that game. 23 against Sacramento in the second game. He only took nine shots to get there. So, you know, you haven't seen like the 40 point outbursts that he had the last couple of years. But part of that is that he doesn't need to. And I think that that's just as important. Now, the, the thing is, can he get there if they need him to get there? And I think that, yeah, he probably can. We just haven't seen that yet so far. So I'm going to reserve judgment on it at this point. But um, you are seeing growth from him. You just you're seeing growth from him on the floor. You just aren't really seeing it on the stat sheet. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And and I, I would even point out, I would critique my critique by saying it's it's really nitpicky because we already know kind of that there's that there's good bones there, right? That that he's got some potential, some things that we've already seen. Like forget these these six games that we're talking about so far of this season. Like we've, we've seen the potential already before. It's just been a matter of consistency, maturity, coaching, and all of that sort of thing, Ex experience, which he does have quite a bit of now, but, but, but we, we, we've seen that part of it. I, I think the, the thing that's encouraging, and again, I was nitpicking saying, Hey, it just hasn't been like, you know, wow, superstar type of stuff yet, but, I think an encouraging part about the entire team, and this can be specific to Jalen Green or, or make him indicative of this, but the entire team, one of the things that we wanted to see happen with this team and a major critique of the team has been its overall basketball intelligence. What, what like how they play the game, how they think the game, and all of those sort of things. And that looks a lot better. And you want that to look a lot better, especially with Jalen Green, somebody that you expect to be around 
and to have whether he's a superstar or, or whatever whatever his role turns out to be or however things turn out to be you expect him to be here you want it overall for the basketball intelligence to improve and it feels like between Ime, Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks and then just also their experience as well it feels like that much is happening and so you can you can take some encouragement in that or at least give them some props for that and, and then say well these other if those things come together the talent that we already know is there and then the basketball intelligence that seemed to be lacking then maybe you have something and and he was putting up numbers the last two years on teams that lost 60 games like if he's on the floor and they're winning games, that's really all that matters because if he's on the floor and they're winning games, it means no matter what the numbers are, it means he's contributing to those wins. And so again, on, on Saturday, he didn't put up the big numbers, but he was on the floor when they made their run. And let me tell you something, he's in the middle of all that. It's not like he's, he's standing off to the side as they're making their run. No, he's making plays. They just aren't the types of plays necessarily that show up on the stat sheet. So that's really like I guarantee you the Rockets would much rather him average 20 and win 50 games than have him average 30 and lose 50 games. So I think that they are quite happy with what they've seen out of him so far. About Jabari Smith Jr. Averaging, see, we got 14 and 7, uh, 50% from the field, 38 from three. What do you think you're seeing from the second year Jabari? Six games in. He's a little bit more aggressive with his offense. Uh, I think that especially early in games, he comes out ready to shoot. Doesn't he? And, <laughs> yes, and, he does. And, I mean, he came out ready to shoot on Monday. I think he scored eight of their first ten points in, in that game. And um, that's good. Uh, I still think defensively there needs to be some improvement. Um, again, the rebounding, we've talked about that goes – with the whole team, but he's taking, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to see like this dominant guy that we saw in summer league, but I think that you're going to see a very good player. He just, you know, it's just part of the growth. I, I think one of the, you look at what they've done the last three games and this is nothing against the rookies, but they're not playing rookies right now. And it's amazing how different it looks when everyone who's on the floor knows how to play and you're not having to teach these guys how to play necessarily on the fly. And so I think you're seeing it with him that he's got a better understanding of what he can do. And he's got a better understanding of what he's supposed to do within just the team scheme on both ends of the floor. And it's working. So he's a guy who is six foot 10. You cannot block his shot. It does not matter. Well, you, you know, he's a guy who can shoot the ball at all three levels and you cannot block his shot, at least, you know, from the mid range or from the three point line. And I think that they are more than happy with him taking those shots and he's been aggressive and he's going to get his shots and he's scoring a little bit more efficiently right now than he did last year. And that's, that's a big, that was a big thing that held him back last year was just, you know, he just, there was no efficiency. And he looked this year, like you said, you know, he's 50% from the field. He's 38% from three. I mean, if he can continue to do that for the next 76 games of the year, I mean, that's that's a really good player. And he was never going to be a guy who I think you say, oh, he's going to average 20. That's probably not ever going to be him. But if you can be efficient like that, and if you can play defense at a high level, then he's a very good player and a guy who can be the type of guy who's going to be on the floor in big playoff games. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, I, I'm a Jabari Smith Jr. fan. I've have been so since the very beginning, so... Uh, anytime that he's playing well, I'm 
willing to celebrate it. I think he's been really good. I've enjoyed watching him. Um, I, he's somebody that even like when he struggles, I'm like, I, I, I feel like he's going to figure it out. You know, I, I, I feel like between his talent and it, like his work ethic and willingness, I feel like he's going to figure it out. So it, it's been really encouraging to watch him so far. Let's go over a couple of these news items before we get out of here. We got two news items that I think are relevant, worth discussing just briefly before we wrap up. Tari Eason's coming back. At least that's that's my understanding, that he's coming back for this Lakers game. Tell us what do you think, well, like what's fair to expect? Like obviously I would imagine that there would be a minutes restriction and some kind of obviously some type of uh pitch count or, or something, something to that effect. But like, what do you think after watching this team just for six games, what do you think Tari, especially once he gets right, or I should say more specifically, once he gets right, what do you think he brings to the mix? Oh, uh, so he's going to be limited. You said to about 15 minutes in his first game back. He's probable. So in all likelihood, he will play against the Lakers on Wednesday. I, I think the one thing that you want to see, um, we've talked about pace and they are last in the league in pace right now. He's the type of guy who can bring that just because he's the type of guy who can get hands on the basketball and force some turnovers and get you out in transition. And I think that's one thing that they have been missing so far. And you look at that game against the Kings on Saturday, where just the offense cratered for, I don't know, a couple quarters, like, that's where he would have been really good for them. It's just like, hey, I'm going to come out and I'm going to wreck the game and I'm going to make some things happen. So I think that's what he's going to bring them that they have been missing is just kind of the game wreckability and somebody who can get out in transition and get them moving a little bit uh, and create some turnovers. Um, so I think that's the big thing for him. And it'll be interesting just to see how they kind of shuffle the rotation um, Jay Sean Tate's been really good. He's been, he's played at a really high level. And, and I wonder if maybe they slide Tate to maybe the backup point guard role, at least a little bit. Aaron Holiday's done okay for these uh, last couple of games, but I do wonder if maybe Tate's the type of guy who's going to be on the floor. Um, Yudoka clearly loves the guy and it's easy to see why. And so, you know, you just want to see like who, who does, Easton take minutes from because like Yudoka on Saturday, he basically only played eight guys. He kind of, he, he extended the the rotation out to nine on Monday by giving Jeff green, you know, minutes that he really didn't get um, on Saturday. So, you know, you can give Easton the Jeff green minutes and, you know, maybe you slide Tate to the point to backup point guard. And so, you know, you just want to see how they shift things with the rotation. I think that's the big thing to look for. I don't know if you guys have asked him this question yet uh, and him by him. I mean, M.A. Udoka, but it it feels like and seems like to me that Jay Sean Tate would be the player that M.A. Udoka sees the most of himself in. Do you is that fair? Just stylist, stylistically and approach in terms of approach. I think I think Jay Sean Tate is miles and miles more talented than M.A. Udoka was as a player, but just in terms of the approach, I think that. He is the type of player that every coach sees in himself. I just think that's how that's the type of player he is, where he's he's really smart. Um, he's going to he does every he does a lot of things at a high level. And you know, whether it's offensively, defensively, put the ball on the floor, make plays for others. He can guard anyone one through five. He's shooting the ball a little bit better right now. So I, that's just the type of guy. And it's one of those things where we knew it last year and 
guys talked about how much they missed him, but you forget how much they actually missed him until you see him on the floor again this year. And uh, the fact that he only played in 30 something games last year, that was a huge loss that really didn't get talked about nearly as much as it should have. Last thing, Cam Whitmore, the rookie number 20 overall pick goes to the G league. They're sending him to the G league. I think, we probably expected this to happen at some point, especially once the season started and he wasn't really in the rotation and we probably didn't expect him to be in the rotation. Hence us expecting this to happen. What do you think this does? How does this benefit Cam Whitmore and how does this ultimately benefit the Rockets uh, long-term with him, with him going down there and getting these minutes in the G league? Well, he's just going to get to play and he's not playing up here. Like they're just there are like you said, there are no minutes for him on this team right now. So he's going to get to go to the G League. He's going to get to play. They've got a good staff over there. Um, he's going to be in a position where he's going to get to run a lot of offense. So he'll be able to grow just in that regard. Um, and and then he'll be back and forth. You know, I'm sure that when um the Vipers have holes in their schedule, they'll bring him back over here just so that he can be back with the NBA team again, just so that he can work out with them. So, yeah, this, like you said, this was not expected. This was probably how it was always going to be unless there were some other major injury. And um, this is the smart thing to do. And there's no point to him just sitting on the bench game after game after game. You might as well get him some minutes in the G League just so that he can, if anything, just stay in shape, just stay in game shape, just to just to get those reps. So this will ultimately wind up being a good thing for him. Yeah, man. And you know me. I'm a fan of his, too. So I wanted him to play. I wanted him to be in the mix, and and yes, I see why and and how he's behind guys and why he's not in the mix. But I just think he's an exciting player. Got a lot to learn. Knows one speed. Feels like he knows one thing to do with the ball. Like it's almost like a full like see ball get ball, like see basket get basket. You know, like that's his. That's kind of his get down right now. But I was, I'm gonna say this, man. For me, like I I like watching give it up, and I think he's gonna be. The, like the talent difference between him and a lot of those guys in the in the G League is going to be a, a big enough gap. Like we were we were watching uh, Dacian Knicks and different guys like that kill it in the G League at, at various points. Like I think he's going to have some really good games. And I I am I am not really like G League guy. Like follow what the guys are doing in the G League per se. Like I just I don't have a bandwidth for it, but. I like his game enough and I am interested enough in Cam Whitmore's development that I think I am going to start watching some some Vipers games or or at least paying maybe not like full Vipers games, but like paying a lot more attention to what the Vipers are doing and what's happening with Cam Whitmore. I I, I am I am I am invested in him invested in him as a piece because I think he's he could be a really good one once he develops now it's going to take a, a long time i think or, or some time i don't know how long of a time but it's going to take some time i mean he's it's 19 raw talent but if they can figure that out if they can cultivate that i think that that's an interesting element for them can i offer you some advice as a friend don't don't spend too much time there you uh, go you got it <laughs> well yeah don't do it don't do that to yourself he's gonna put up some numbers out there like there's no doubt he's going to put up a lot of numbers and I, I think he's probably going to help that team win a lot of games. But again, it's the G league and Ty Ty Washington scored like 53 in a game over there. So I wouldn't 
I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it. But again, it, it's it'll be good just to see him out there, and people will see some crazy numbers in those games. I, I guarantee you, he's going to have a lot of 40, 50 point games in the G League. Just don't overreact to it too much. Like, don't start clamoring for him to start getting minutes over player X in the on the NBA team. But he's gonna you're going to see him do some things, and there's there's a lot of talent there. Um, it's just not his time just yet. Yeah, I think I'll be content with him just eating in the G League for a while. I think I can, I think that's fine. Like I can, you know, be satisfied with just the G League highlights and won't have to overreact to him. I think I can handle that much. But man, I'll tell you this much. I've got a vice or two. If if the worst I'm doing is watching a little bit too much basketball or going a little bit too too far into the weeds and into the rabbit holes of of basketball highlights to where I'm checking out Cam Whitmore in the G League. I could think of worse. I could think of worse. I, and, I, and I probably shouldn't, you know, elaborate or or say too much more than that, but I could think of a lot worse than, than that. So so we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it work yeah. one way or another. Yeah, they're, they're far worse YouTube rabbit holes you can find yourself into than G League highlights. So, yeah, I will agree with that. Yes, yes, it it is it is an unproblematic waste of my time that may or may not happen at some point. But look, that is the H Town Who's podcast. I'm Brandon Scott. That's Adam Spillane. Austin Mendez is producing this thing for us behind the scenes. We are going to get together behind the scenes and figure out when we're going to do this podcast again because we're going to probably drop another one next week. Y'all will hear this hopefully before. The Rockets take on the Lakers at Toyota Center. But if not, obviously, we've got that to react to next time. Uh, the Pelicans on Friday the 10th. So, And, and that's the, the first in-season tournament game. The first in-season tournament game, something that we have not talked about on this podcast, I don't think at all. And probably something we're going to have to get into, get our get our takes off on, on what we think about this in-season tournament, this Tuesday-Friday schedule where – you're having a tournament, then you're not, then you're back to having a tournament, then you're not. It's it's going to be a really weird adjustment. So so perhaps by the next time we talk to you guys, we'll have a better feel for that and reaction to that. But again, make sure you are subscribing, rating, reviewing, telling your friends about the podcast. That helps us a lot. We appreciate it. And until next time, y'all be good. <laughs>